You are listening to content from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. For more information, you can find us on the web at ChristOurHopeAnglican.org. And now, here's today's message. Hallelujah. Christ is risen. Thank you. I've been waiting to say that for the entirety of Lent, so I'm going to try to fit it in as many times as I can today. Um, and, and really, it's interesting to, to contradict that, uh, to compare that a little bit with our text from the Gospels this morning, because those words which we are ready to say, that we have been prepared and waiting to say, and we enter into joyfully, and really easily on Easter morning, were not so easy for those women who came and saw the tomb of Jesus and found it to be empty. Mary, Mary, and Salome went to the tomb to put uh, spices on Jesus' body to anoint him after his burial. But when they arrived, they found that the stone had already been rolled away, which took care of one concern that they had because they weren't sure how they were going to move it. I guess they just went in the hopes that maybe the the Roman soldiers would let them in. But they... um, had another concern because they got there and found that the tomb was empty. And for us, this is now just just good news. This is good news that we remember that Jesus is risen. We see this and we celebrate it on this morning. But for them, their initial response was confusion. There was a messenger there, an angel sitting waiting there in the tomb to tell them about what had happened, that Jesus was risen, that he was not here. And their response was to feel terrified. They trembled. They felt afraid because they didn't quite understand what was going on. And of all of the gospel accounts, this is Mark's account. And Mark's account is the most raw and the most just near to what it felt like at that very moment for these women. And it has this moment where they just don't know what has happened and they tremble and are afraid. And this is actually probably the ending of Mark's gospel, at least as much as we have it. Um, Your Bible, if you're reading along with me, probably goes a little bit further and has verses 9 through 20. But it also probably puts them in brackets or has a line there that says this longer ending is probably not originally part of the gospel of Mark. Um, And there was some debate among scholars as to whether or not that longer ending was ever part of the original text. And for the most part, with modern scholarship, the conclusion is pretty well established that no, it it was likely not part of the original text, which makes this a very strange ending for a book that begins with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, because he doesn't show up again at the end. The tomb is empty, but they're left with questions. Where is Jesus? What has happened? Is it really true? Has he really, truly risen? And if he has, what does this mean? And I love those questions because they invite us into the gospel and they allow us to ask our own questions of God and of the gospel. In this morning and a morning like this where we come and celebrate, some of us come with questions. There are things that still are are unresolved in in our lives and what we're feeling. We know and we proclaim that Jesus is risen, but we also see still the brokenness of the world. And we wonder, where is he? 
just like these women wondered, where is he? And we ask ourselves, is it really true? I'm saying the words, but is it really true? And this gospel account and the ending that we have for the book of Mark invites us to bring those questions up before God and allow him to speak to those questions that we have. So let's talk about the first and the most important, perhaps, question of it all is, is it really true? Is Jesus really risen from the dead? There's a sense in which we can talk about fiction being true, whether it happened or not. We can say that it has great meaning whether something happened or not. And all good stories invite us into this. I actually believe that there's a tremendous amount of truth that is revealed in a good novel. When you think of the scene in Les Miserables where Jean Valjean goes to the bishop and he um, is given grace after he steals from this man who welcomed him around his table. He had... He was shown hospitality, and he responds by by stealing his silver and running away. And because he had already been a convict, he gets dragged back and and held before the bishop, and they said, this man, we found him with your things. And he said that you gave them to him. Is that true? The bishop, you know, answers and says, yes, it is true. But he forgot the best. Here, let me give you these silver candlesticks as well. And we listen to a story like that, and if you're anything like me, your heart lifts and responds in that because there's something deeply true about a story like that, even though we know it sprang from the mind of an author. It tells us about grace, and it makes us leap with joy to think about the grace maybe that we have received, who are thieves and have been shown hospitality. And so there's this element, and we look at a story like that, and we go, this is true. But that is not the kind of truth that I am concerned about when I ask, is it true that Jesus rose from the dead? And it's not the kind of truth that those first women were concerned about when they asked if Jesus rose from the dead. When I ask if the resurrection is true, and when they ask if the resurrection is true, I'm not talking about some spiritual reality, some way that we perhaps celebrate the, the return of life in the season of spring, as if this is, is what, you know, we're... we're sort of baptizing with, with language of God, some natural phenomenon, and I'm talking about joy returning to my heart, what I want to know is, did Jesus conquer death? Did he actually rise from the dead? If they were just looking for a spiritual reality, then they could have left that moment with immediate joy. Because it would have been some spiritual revelation in their hearts that I see now that his word is still with us. The things he said and they did, they meant so much to us anyway, and that will never die, and therefore he is with us. And and so now I can rejoice with joy. But their response is that they're terrified because they care about deeply, did it actually happen? They have the words of Jesus looking back. We know that they missed a lot of it the first time through. But looking back, they have the words of Jesus where he predicted his death. They came to understand the scriptures as pointing towards it. They, they knew that the, the tomb had been guarded by Roman soldiers. They have this messenger, this shining young man, who tells them that Jesus is not there because he is risen. There's lots of things pointing to them to the fact that perhaps this is true, perhaps it actually happened. But there's one major thing pointing to them that maybe it didn't, which is that as far as we know, dead people don't come back. In our experience, we all have known people who have died and losses we have experienced. And I have yet in my life to 
to hear directly of someone who went into a tomb, was buried in the grave, and then came back out. And if it did happen, my response would also be terror and fear. So we have the words of Jesus and, and perhaps the story of Scripture and the story of God's salvation standing against all of our common sense about the way that the world works and the fact that dead people don't come back. And it has led people to come up with all sorts of explanations for what really happened in that moment. Perhaps this is just wish fulfillment. These women were just so sorrowful and sad, and they came and they couldn't come to terms, and so they're coming up with this story that they're telling. Or perhaps the, the body was taken away. Matthew's gospel tells us that, that the Roman soldiers, or the, the chief priests paid some people to, to spread the story that the body was taken away so that they could claim resurrection. But none of these explanations work. None of these explanations actually fit the account of events that we have. None of them explain the terror of these women. None of them explain the fact that how we, we have these women as the first witnesses of the resurrection when in the first century their testimony wouldn't even be accepted in a court of law. None of it explains what happened with apostles, disciples who are willing to give their lives, who are committed to this, not gaining power and glory, but gaining suffering and death because they believed that Jesus had really come back from the dead and it was worth staking their lives on this. The truth is that if we're going to take the accounts of the Gospels at all as evidence, the evidence actually points to the fact that, yes, Jesus rose from the dead, really, truly, bodily. His body was supposed to be there when they came, and it wasn't there because he had risen, and he had risen indeed. Alleluia! And this is so important for us to hold on to, the truth of this, not in some true spiritual sense, but the truth of it, because if Christ has not risen, death is still victorious. We have no real hope. If Christ has not risen, sin has won. The curse has held. The promise of death, both physical and spiritual, remains. But if he has risen, if this is true then the curse has been destroyed. Someone has, beat, has won over it. The story that we told last night of God working his salvation for his people from the very beginning and giving them glimpses of what he was going to do is fulfilled here in Christ so that we can celebrate and know the truth of the resurrection in fact. And this is what we stake our lives on, just as the disciples staked their lives on it. This is what we stake our life and our hope on. Jesus has risen from the dead. And we look at the evidence and we say, yes, this is true. This is fitting in the way that God works. Yes, it's not the way that the world usually works. If it was, it wouldn't be spectacular. It wouldn't be something that's worth pinning our hope on. But God is not bound by the way that the world usually works. He works his salvation as he pleases, and he pleases to do it through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and this is where our hope lies. But there are still questions hanging out for the women, even if they come to terms and believe this. One of the questions is just, where is he? In Mark's account, we 
actually don't see that. And it's, again, what makes it such a strange ending to the gospel. We have the angel there, but we don't actually see the risen Christ. And again, if I'm writing the script for a movie, if I'm actually making up this account, I make sure that I show the person on the screen that I said has come back from the dead. I can preach over that. <laughs> yeah, it's a, a chorus of cars joining in the great news that Jesus has risen from the dead. If you're joining us online and can't hear it, we've got a couple of car alarms going on right outside. Um, so this, we have this question of where is, where is Jesus? He's not hiding out in one of those cars out there. And the, the other accounts, if when we actually go to the story of Acts, and we heard a little bit from Acts this morning, they deal with this. And this is not an insignificant question. It's an important question of where is Jesus and where is the... And theologically, we talk about the ascension, and this is actually an important doctrine. We say that Jesus has gone and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We do care about where Jesus is. But on Easter morning, the more important thing is where he is not. He's not in the grave. He's not lying there dead. And the thing that the angels remind those women about is that he has made promises. That he has promised to come back to them. And this is where we see one of the things that begins to turn and twist and bring hope in our parts, in our hearts. That God keeps his promises. Jesus has made these promises that he will return, that he will meet them in Galilee. And it seems like those promises fell flat at that moment of death. But we see in the text and in the hope of the resurrection that he is not in the empty tomb, that he will be coming to keep his promises. And this is important, and one of the sources of our hope, why we cling to this as a moment of our hope, is that we remember in the resurrection that God keeps his promises. And there are times where it seems like there is something that has frustrated that, that has upset that, that has come between the moment of, our, of what we desired, what we hoped, and, and the fulfillment of the promises of God. Because we still see the effects of sin. And we look at it and we see death for our loved ones. We see disease and brokenness and bickering. We see people persecuted. We see those in power abusing power. We see people who are poor and lonely. And we wonder at times, has it gone too far? Has it gone beyond the point of no return where I can't come back? Where I no longer can trust in the promises of God because I don't see how we can get from point A, where I am right now, to point B in the fulfillment of the promises of God and it's missing and I don't see how that possibly I can get through that, that, that step. But this is again where we plan our hope that even death is not enough to stop the promises of God from being fulfilled. And so when we cling to the promises of God, 
we know that nothing will come between those promises and their fulfillment in Jesus Christ our Lord because even death did not stop him. So when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, when we walk in those moments where things are dark and dismal and dim, there is no place that the light has not reached. It has gone down into the grave and it has lifted Jesus from the dead. And so we know that there is never a spot that we can descend, that God cannot bring us back, lift us up, and bring and fulfill his promises for us. People of God, this is so important. Because all of us are going to face times where that seems impossible. But nothing is impossible for God. And that is one of the messages of the resurrection. Nothing is impossible for God. It means we can hope for ourselves. We can hope for our loved ones. And we may not see Jesus right now. We may walk up and all we see is the empty tomb. But we know that he will come again. We know that he will set things right. So what does all this mean for us? Part of it we've talked about. It means we have hope. It means our hope can endure through the darkest of nights. It also means that we, we begin to understand our salvation and what that hope actually looks like. Because, again, if Jesus had just had some sort of spiritual resurrection, if it hadn't been that his body was actually gone and come back to life, then perhaps the best we could hope for is just escape one day. And occasionally the Christian hope is communicated this way, as if what we are looking for and waiting for is escape. I want to just get out of this cycle of pain and suffering. I just want to be taken to a place of bliss and, and be removed from it all. And so I hope and endure because I know that maybe one day I can get out of this. It's not Christianity. That's closer to Buddhism. Our hope is actually in the resurrection. Our hope is not only that we escape pain and suffering. It's not that we get out of this cycle of despair. It is that God actually redeems all things. That we look at those things that are darkest in our life. Death. And find out that somehow, some way, one day, they become untrue. That, that every evil thing is undone, that the things that were the, the things that brought us to sorrow and suffering turn out to be something that God uses for good, that this creation that is broken, that our bodies that fail and fall apart will one day be restored, not that we'll be some disembodied spirits that get to leave them beyond forever, but that what we see in Jesus is our own hope. The resurrection, the restoration of everything, our bodies, this earth, all creation groans with eager expectation for the glory of the sons of God to be revealed. Just as it has been in Jesus. He is the first fruits of, of, of many. He's the first of many brothers and sisters who will be brought before the throne of God in his likeness. 
And so it doesn't mean that we have an immediate end to our problems. I mean, even in the text, we see this, right? The women are confused. They're afraid. They're feeling all sorts of negative emotions, even in this time of, of great joy. It doesn't mean that we somehow escape and become where the suffering doesn't matter and I can sort of remove myself from it by some trick of the mind. What it means is that we have hope. We still feel sorrow. We still feel suffering. But we have hope that even that, one day, we'll look back on it and somehow, and this is a great mystery, that even I can't see it all, but somehow, God will have worked it all for our good. Because it's the beginning of new creation in the resurrection. It's inaugurated, but not yet complete. We, have, we get to see what it looks like for one man here, so that we know a glimpse of what it will look like for all of us. We know that God is redeeming the world. We know that he cares about the physical as well as the spiritual. We saw this in the life of Jesus where he healed and then also forgave sins. And we see it in the death of Jesus where he dies and then rises again in the body. We know that there is nothing that is beyond God's care, that he loves us and that all of it will be redeemed. We understand that there's continuity and discontinuity. When we look to some of the other gospel accounts, there's this strange thing where people don't recognize Jesus at first. And then when they see him, they understand that it's him. Somehow, when he's raised from the dead, he's the same. He still has the hole in his side and the holes in his hands, but he's different. People don't understand or see who he is right away. There's a way in which everything is brought in and a way in which something is left behind. One of our songs that we sang last night at the Easter Vigil mentioned passing through the fire and the, and the dross being burned off and what is remaining is good. And this is what we see in Jesus, is that something's left behind and it's something that is, that is corruptible, something that is of the flesh that, that can be destroyed and that's left behind when he rises again because it's not that we're just going to again be made like we are forever. We're also made different better, where our hope is more complete, more full, where we don't have to worry about death or sin or suffering ever again. And in this as well, God is doing this in a way that's not just, this is not just a truth about our bodies, this is a truth about our lives. That everything we do that has value because we do it in the name of Christ, everything that we do to serve the world, every cup of water that we give to someone who is thirsty, every time that we kneel and, and take care of the poor, every time that we do something where we are showing the goodness of God and we're doing it in His name, it will somehow be brought with us into new creation where everything that was without value is burned away, left behind, but that which is good is, continues and endures in Christ. And so we are a people who have not just a hope for ourselves, but a hope that we can bring to the world, and it matters. We're not just temporarily alleviating a little bit of suffering. We are bringing everything that we are given into the new creation with us as we bless it in the name of Christ and as we understand what it is that has been given to us. And we do it in the name of Christ. It will endure past the death, the end of the world, and through the new heavens and the new earth. And this gives us motive for caring, for serving, for loving others because we do it in the name of Christ. And what is in Christ endures past death. This is our hope. This is the hope of the resurrection. 
This is the namesake of our church. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And therefore, we have hope. So cling today to the hope that we've been given. Remember the hope of the resurrection. Remember, look to Christ. Remember that the grave is empty, that He has really risen, and therefore we have a real hope that we too will pass through the night of pain. We too will pass through suffering and death into new life that endures forever and ever and ever. Amen. This sermon is an audio ministry from Christ Our Hope Anglican Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. If you are in the area and would like to learn more about how you can worship with us in person or online, please visit us on the web at www.christourhopeanglican.org.